this is Allison Sheridan of the BasilaCast podcast, hosted at podfeet.com, a technology geek podcast with an ever so slight Apple bias. Today is Sunday, June 5th, 2022, and this is show number 891. Now remember, if you're planning on watching WWDC, the keynote tomorrow, all the cool kids will be hanging out at the podfeet.com chat at podfeet.com slash chat. Because you know, everything good starts with podfeet.com. So chat must be at podfeet.com slash chat. Anyway, we're going to be there at 10 a.m. Pacific time on Monday when the show starts. Now remember, Steve and I won't be talking over the show. We'll be like everyone else texting away saying, wait, what price did she say for the new AR goggles? In any case, I hope you can join us along with the friendly and enthusiastic Nocella Castaways. This week's episode of Chit Chat Across the Pond was another great crossover episode with Bodie Grimm of the Kilwa Podcast. He's joined me before to talk about EVs, but this time we're actually going to talk about not just any EV. We get to talk to Chris Ashley of the SMR Podcast and Barbecue and Tech about his brand new Ford F-150 Lightning electric vehicle. We catch Chris on the very delivery day of his new hotness, and he's one of the first people to actually get the F-150 Lightning. Chris put his $100 in the ring over a year ago and bought the Lightning in the Laredo trim, essentially sight unseen. He is besotted with the vehicle, and from what he has told us, we can see why. We start out with a big tease, talking about the work Chris had to do to be approved to install a charger in his townhouse and what size battery he chose, but eventually we get to talk about what it feels like to drive with and without regenerative braking, also known as one-pedal driving. We talk about how well CarPlay works. It's over Bluetooth, so he doesn't have to plug in. We talk about what information he's got in the instrument panel and a lot about the glory that is heated and cooled seats. I didn't understand cooled seats, but uh, apparently in places like where Bodie lives in Arizona, that's a really important feature. Bodie and Chris talk about how to remote start the car, which was a baffling subject for a California-bred woman. We don't do that, really. (laughs) No reason for it. And we even discuss whether Chris will fit in the frunk, also known as the front trunk. It's a very fun and informative conversation I know you're going to enjoy. And also, be sure to check out the Kilowatt Podcast, the SMR Podcast, and Barbecue and Tech Podcast to have even more fun with these awesome gentlemen. You can find this episode of Chit Chat Across the Pond in your podcatcher of choice, number 731. Look for Bodie Grimm with Chris Ashley, Ford F-150 Lightning EV. Wait, this just in? I've been corrected by the uh, live chat room by Kevin in particular, telling me that it's the Lariat trim, not the Laredo trim. I apologize for any confusion I may have caused. In a future episode of Chit Chat Across the Pond, hopefully the one next week on June 11th, security enthusiast Bart Bouchatz would like to open up the floor to answer your security questions. Think of it as an ask me anything specifically about security. This is your chance to ask the dumb questions that have been bothering you for a long time. These are the questions you think everyone else knows the answers to, but I guarantee you, we don't all know the answers to the questions. While Bart and I tend to talk primarily about Apple products, your security questions can be much broader than that. Maybe you have a question about opening ports on your router to access your Plex library outside of your home network. Maybe you want to know how often to apply patches to your Windows computer and how to tell when it's no longer getting patches. Maybe you want advice on how to talk to your brother, who you know is not as secure as he could be, but he hasn't listened to your advice in the past. Maybe you want to know why a dedicated password manager is better than using the password management built into modern browsers like Microsoft Edge and Firefox. Maybe you've been hearing a security acronym or jargon and you don't know what it means. 
If you'd like to be referenced by name when you send in your question, please tell us how you'd like to be addressed. For example, Stephen from Canada asks... Anyway, if you don't tell us how you'd like to be addressed, we will assume that you would prefer to be anonymous. The sooner your question gets to us, the more likely it is to be answered, because Bart will have more time to formulate his answer. If we get enough questions, we'll be recording the answers on the show scheduled for 11 June 2022, like I said. If we get too many questions to answer in one session, we'll do another show later on. Please send your questions to allison at podfee.com, and I'll share them with Bart. We're looking forward to hearing your questions. In last week's show, I gave you a marathon talk about how Consumer Reports had evaluated a lot of VPN services and I narrowed, and how they narrowed it down to four recommendations. I then walked you through how I made my decision to choose PIA, Private Internet Access, as my VPN. I missed something pretty major, and I have to say, I slapped my forehead when Steve Davidson pointed out what I forgot to do. Remember, one of my very important decision criterion was whether there was any kind of a family plan? While I asked that question of some other candidates, I never asked the folks at PIA. Luckily, Steve did. He contacted PIA customer support through text, and he asked them whether he and his wife could share an account. PIA answered, hello, yes, you can share your login information with your wife to access VPN. He even captured a screenshot of his conversation to prove it. I've included that in the show notes for you to see as well. Remember that PIA is $12 if you buy month-to-month for five devices and significantly cheaper if you get one of their annual plans. I'm not quoting exact pricing for the annual plans because they're still fixing the pricing pages, but it gets as low as $2 a month. Now, here's the bad news, at least for me. I read Steve Davidson's email after Steve and I each bought two-year plans. Oh well, if you haven't purchased PIA yet, at least you know that you can share your plan. Thank you so much, Steve, for bringing this to all of our attention. I also want to thank the 14 people who have already used my PIA referral link to sign up. After they cross the 30-day threshold of paying for PIA, they get a free 30 days, and so do I. That means I might get an entire year. How cool is that? If you'd like to use it too, look at the bottom of your podcatcher to find the link to sign up for PIA with my referral link. And one more thing, if you tried PIA on an iPad and you were annoyed, like Steve Davidson and I were both annoyed, to find out that it only works in portrait mode, I have a very easy fix for that. It turns out it's only the initial login screen that's in portrait mode. So tap the login and it's going to stay in portrait mode. But as soon as you're logged in, rotate the iPad to portrait and back to landscape, and then it will work in landscape mode like nature intended. When I buy a new phone, I carefully peruse all of the color options and I find the one that most delights me. I open up my new precious and I revel at the glory. For a day or two, I try going without a case so that I can enjoy the look and feel of my wonderful new device. But I end up being so stressed out about dropping it and cracking it or scuffing it that I end up slapping a case on it and moving on. The joy of a new phone is often how thin it is, so I don't like big bulky cases. I also really want to enjoy the color of my case, so I go for clear cases. Now, I'm always tempted by Apple's phone cases, but I got burned way too many times with them falling apart in less than a year and Apple not honoring their one-year warranty. Kaylee turned me on to a company called CaseCoo that makes a nice clear case for an affordable price of around $20. I bought one for my iPhone 13 Pro, and it's been a great case. I've dropped my phone a number of times from crackable distances to tile, and I have no marks and no cracks on my screen, so 20 bucks for the win. The one thing it doesn't have, though, is a MagSafe ring. 
While my phone will charge over MagSafe even with a case on, I'm sure there's a great deal of loss with that additional air gap. It also means that to use MagSafe devices like my Moment magnetic tripod, I have to take my case off because the magnet isn't strong enough to go through the plastic case. Well, I was bored the other day, and I decided to look for a new case that would give me MagSafe, but not for Apple's outrageous and unsupported prices. At first, I started looking at cute ones with psychedelic colors or pretty pastels, but I gravitated right back to the clear cases so I could see the beautiful Sierra Blue of my iPhone. I found a clear case from KimGuard that for the same $20 as my case coup had several similarities and big advantages. First of all, it is compatible with MagSafe. It has the same little bubbles in the rubbery plastic on the corners that has saved my phone from cracks with the case coup. It has the same easy-to-push button covers, and I can easily access the mute switch with my fingernail. At this point, I'm sure you're yawning at this review since it's basically table stakes for any of the 2.3 million cases available for an iPhone. But before you hit that skip chapter button, what made this $20 case jump out at me is that for that price, it comes with a MagSafe compatible wallet. While the case is clear, the wallet can come in navy blue to match my phone, but you could also choose from black, brown, green, orange, pink, purple, red, rose pink, silver, or yellow. The wallet is advertised as being able to carry two to three cards tops. The KimGuard clear case with MagSafe compatible wallet is available for the iPhone 13, 13 Pro, 13 Pro Max, as well as the 12 Pro Max. Now, I've never had a wallet case before, and since this one would be purely optional, I decided to give it a try. My current wallet is a tiny sleeve about as small as a wallet can be, but I end up carrying my whole purse around just to make sure I have that little tiny wallet with me. I decided that my driver's license and Apple Card would be the two things I'd always want with me. I didn't try to get the wallet to hold three cards because that just means they'd be impossible to take out. The KimCard wallet sticks very securely to the back of the KimCard magnetic case. I am not worried at all that it would be easily knocked off, unlike the early reviews I've read about Mag Apple's MagSafe wallet. In fact, I have to kind of pry it off the back of my case with my fingernail under it, which I think is exactly how strong you want it to be. Now, I did have Steve try it in his back pocket, and a lot of men with pockets have complained that when they pull their phone out, the MagSafe wallet disconnects. And it did for Steve using his jeans. But guess what? I don't have pockets, so this is not a problem for me. It definitely, it's very strong to me. I, I think it's the seam on jeans, uh, on the pocket of the jeans that grabs the little edge and pulls it off. One of the secondary reasons I was interested in a MagSafe-compatible wallet was to offload some cards from my tiny wallet. I keep revisiting whether I really have to carry as many as I do, but it's just filled enough that it's pretty hard to get any of them out. My hope was that the MagSafe wallet would be easier for the two I need often and make everything else in my regular wallet easier to get out. And yes, I can hear you yelling into your device, Why don't you just get yourself a full-size wallet, you fool? I'll tell you why because I simply don't like carrying heavy things. Steve's grandmother was having terrible shoulder pain, and her doctor advised her, rather than pursuing surgery or medications, just get a smaller purse so she wouldn't carry so much stuff. It totally solved her shoulder pain. Ever since she told me that, and it was quite a long time ago, I've been carrying the smallest purse that will just carry my bare essentials, and I minimize my wallet as part of that exercise. All that said, getting the two cards out of the KimGuard wallet isn't trivial. 
you'll definitely you definitely can't grab the cards from the top even with fingernails. Instead, they have an open slot on the back that allows you to provide some friction to the back of the innermost card to get it to slide up enough that you can then grab it from the top. It works, but it's not instant access. I imagine that like getting a new pair of shoes, it'll loosen up after a bit so it's easier. Like the magnetic connection, you don't want it too loose, so tighter is definitely a better option. I've kept using it for quite a few days now, and sure enough, it did loosen up, but they definitely cannot fall out. I've only been using the KimGuard case and wallet for a few days, like I said, but I do have some observ observations. If you choose to use a MagSafe-compatible wallet, you do have to take it off a lot. I have to take it off to charge in my Qi easel stand or with my MagSafe charging puck. I have to take it off when I get into my car because I have a natural place to rest my phone that's also a Qi charging stand. I have to take it off to get the credit cards off. Now, none of these actions is particularly difficult, but it could be a problem on the flip side. What if I get out of my car and I forget to grab the wallet and put it back on? In fact, where do I put the wallet while the phone is charging in the car? Maybe in a cup holder if I'm not using both of them. Maybe on the seat next to me. Both seem pretty easy places to miss when getting out of the car. When I go to leave the house and take my phone off the charging stand there, what's to remind me to grab the wallet and slap it back on? It's more visible on the counter than it would be in the car, but that's also messy on the counter, and we're all trying to reduce the clutter caused by the devices we have to charge. I'm certain that I would eventually train myself to slap on the wallet as part of the operation of picking it up, but that's because I'm very good at developing habits like that. If you're the kind of person who finds every day is a new adventure in finding your stuff when you leave the house, like somebody I know, this might be problematic. On the other hand, maybe a magnetic wallet is just what you need to make sure you don't forget the darn thing. This last week, I gave my new MagSafe-compatible wallet a test drive. I went on my big daily excitement of picking up coffee. I only needed the wallet because California doesn't yet have a digital ID system, and my Apple, ID, my Apple card, I should say, is really just a backup in case Apple Pay doesn't work. But hey, I only had to carry one thing to leave the house, and it wasn't my purse. But then I realized, eh, COVID cases are back up on the rise in LA, and we've got a trip planned soon, so I grabbed an N95 mask. Then I realized, ah, it's bright and sunny out, so in addition to my regular glasses, I need to carry my prescription sunglasses. At this point, I couldn't help but think about how many times I've made fun of Steve telling him that he needs a purse when I see him struggling to hold a pile of stuff in his hands when he gets out of the car. I'm not abandoning the idea of using a magnetic wallet for some occasions, but I'll definitely think about how much I'll have to carry in my hands if I do use it. If you already don't carry a purse and have been interested in a MagSafe wallet but don't want to pay the $59 for just the wallet on Apple's leather offering, you might really like the clear case from KimGuard that comes with, with the magnetic wallet for only 20 bucks. Heck, for that price, even if uh, you already have a MagSafe case you like, the MagSafe compatible wallet is still a great deal. Check out the non-affiliate link in the show notes to the KimGuard clear case for all iPhones 13 and iPhone 12 Max over on Amazon. This has been a very good week for people supporting the shows we do here at the PodFeed Podcast. We have a new patron named Scott Kelsey. This wonderful gentleman went to podfeed.com slash Patreon and he signed up to pledge a dollar amount that was right for him and showed the appreciation he has for the knowledge he gains and the entertainment he receives. Not to be outdone, existing patron Graham Kelly increased his pledge. In a moment of delightful comedy, Martin Stein sent me a note explaining in distress that his credit card had expired on Patreon, but they had corrected the issue and he hoped this wouldn't put him or this would put him back in my good graces. 
His message came just in time because, you know, I was about to forward the issue to our Nocilla Castaways membership card department to begin the revocation procedures, but luckily we didn't have to go that far. Now, do you guys remember me singing the praises of Bill Reveal, the man nearly solely responsible for the speed increase of Podfeet.com? He works tirelessly with me. He worked tirelessly with me for hours and hours, moving and cleaning my database of those pesky encoding problems and rebuilding Podfeet.com from scratch. Well, do you know what that guy just did? He sent me a one-time donation via Podfeet.com slash PayPal. I couldn't believe it. He's got credit in it all the way back for like a decade, and then he does a fool thing like that. Of course, I graciously accepted his donation. Thank you to all of you who help support the shows that we do at the Podfeed Podcast. I remember going to my son Kyle's house right after they moved in and noticing that every time the back door opened, I'd hear this very gentle beep boop. It was his alarm system letting him know that the door sensor had been triggered. I also remember thinking, that would drive me nuts. But you know what? Over time, I've actually embraced the life of notifications. I glory in all that situational awareness. I am also retired with nothing better to do. Let's take a trip through a typical day to see what I mean. Steve and I both work out first thing in the morning. Every other day, I walk or run. And the other every other day, I do a strength workout with Sam Sanchez on Apple Fitness Plus. Steve does the opposite, lifting weights when I'm outdoors and running when I'm inside doing strength training. When Steve leaves the house, he drives out the garage with his car. The MyQ garage door opener sends me a notification that Steve has left the building. This starts the countdown clock for when I need to be done working out so that I'll be ready when he brings me my coffee. Even though the MyQ app is keeping me up to date on the status of my garage door, the home app feels left out with nothing to do, so it sends me notifications every time the garage door opens and closes as well. I like to work out for at least 40 minutes. But Fitness Plus comes in 10-minute, 20-minute, and 30-minute increments. To get my 40 minutes, I do two 20-minute strengths with Sam, which leaves me in a sweaty heap at the end from doing squats and weights and push-ups. It's awesome. I initiate the workout from the Apple TV, which triggers a notification to my watch to agree that I'm ready to start the workout. Halfway through my second 20-minute strength with Sam, I get a notification on my watch that I've completed the minimum 30-minute exercise for the day. Now, for someone who usually hits something closer to 90 minutes of exercise per day, I find the 30-minute notification kind of adorable. Now, I usually finish my Fitness Plus session before Steve gets back home, and I could obsessively watch him on Find My to see if he's done with his run yet and on his way back with my coffee, but Steve found a more accurate way to track each other. We both drive Teslas, and the Tesla app on our phones shows the exact geolocation of the cars at all times. I can even tell which direction his car is pointed, when his door or hatch is open, and it updates very smoothly instead of the sudden location jumps that you get from Find My. Sadly, I don't get any kind of notifications of his movement in the car, and I have to just obsessively watch the screen. When he comes home, if I don't hear the garage door, I get the MyQ notification that the garage door is opened again on my phone. If I miss that, our August lock has proximity detector for our phones over Bluetooth, so the front door will also unlock when he comes home and send me a notification that it has unlocked. By this time, it's our dog Tessa my job to be waiting at the door to welcome him home with great fanfare. After we reheat the coffee that's already 180 degrees, Steve and Tessa go out in the backyard so Steve can check out his plants and citrus trees and most importantly check on any caterpillars that might be thinking about becoming butterflies. This time is also Tessa's best opportunity to vigorously chase any squirrel who has foolishly ventured into the yard. 
When Steve opens the back door to go out, a ring alarm system will trigger a notification on my phone telling me that the sliding glass door has been opened. Makes me happy because I know Steve and Tesla enjoy their time during, during this morning ritual. As Steve moves around in the backyard, eventually one of our wise outdoor cams will notice the movement and I'll get a notification that there might be some fun video to watch. While I sip my coffee, I usually work on writing for the podcast or doing research for the shows, or if I'm lucky, I've scraped enough time together to do some programming. While my first few hours of the day are really active, I become completely sedentary at this point. Invariably, my Apple Watch will tell me to stand up. I'll dismiss the notification and usually say out loud, in a minute, in a minute, and then a few minutes later, it'll do it again. But of course, it hasn't been a few minutes. It's been an entire hour, and I still haven't stood up. By this time, I will obey the Apple Watch's nagging about standing up because it's time for lunch. While I'm making lunch, if it's a Thursday, I'll get a notification on my watch from Apple TV that says a new episode of Star Trek Strange New Worlds is out. Thursdays are happy days. We sit down to eat our lunch, and about halfway through, both Steve and I will look at our watches at the same time. At this point, we have both just received a notification from the fitness app that someone across the pond has just finished a bike ride. After lunch, I go back to my studio to work some more on the podcast. Some might suggest that it takes me so long to write my articles because I keep notifications turned on for Telegram. Well, I need to know instantly if Stephen Getz in Canada wants to tell me something about Formula One car racing, or maybe Pat Dengler has found a cool new app or device, or maybe Lindsay the daughter has watched one of the funny TikToks I sent her in the morning and she wants to tell me that she enjoyed it. Now, a lot of my Telegram notifications are actually from Steve because we're far too lazy to get up and walk from one computer room to the next to tell each other something. See why my Apple Watch gets so annoyed with me about not standing up? Well, around 3 p.m. or so, Tessa comes into my room and lays her head in my lap. I tell her soon, and eventually those puppy dog eyes convince me it's time to go for my second exercise of the day, and that's walking her. Now, when we start out, we have a discussion about whether we're going to go on a long three to four mile walk with hills like I want to, or whether we're going to watch, walk just the four blocks to where she likes to hunt for gophers. On days I do Fitness Plus, I need miles, so we usually compromise and go on a relatively flat three-mile walk to the baseball park where I let her hunt lizards. When Tessa and I leave, I get a lot of notifications. As soon as I'm stepping out the door, I get a notification that the August lock is open, followed very closely by our ring alarm system telling me the front door is open. But I also get a notification that someone is at the ding-dong. That's our name for a ring video doorbell. As soon as I get a few hundred feet away, I get a notification that the August lock has unlocked, uh, has locked automatically behind me. Now, I have to say that exiting the house gives me so many notifications that I had to start initiating my walk in the fitness app before I opened the door. Otherwise, I just stand outside swiping and swiping and swiping notifications, trying to get to the start and open outdoor walk screen. When I get about a half mile away from my house, I get a notification that I've left some items behind. I have air tags in my purse, backpack, suitcase, and the shoe bag I bring along when I travel. You might wonder why I don't exclude my own home from notifications on air tags. Well, I did it that way originally, but then I recently arrived at Lindsay's house for the weekend, only to discover I'd forgotten my purse at home. Now, living without my purse for a weekend pretty much only meant bumming sunglasses off of people for a couple of days, but can you imagine if I'd left my backpack at home with my laptop and my iPad inside? It's too horrifying to consider. Hence, the AirTags now notify me constantly, even if I just walk away from my house. 
Now, every mile I complete with Tessa, I get a nice little notification telling me I've added another mile to the treads on my shoes. I like those notifications. It tells me that I've added another mile to the 11,940 miles I've walked so far since I got my Apple Watch. When I arrive home, the whole notification of the door thing kicks off again with the ring doorbell and the ring alarm and the August locks all singing a chorus announcing my grand arrival home. Just to add one more little bit of entertainment to this momentous event, our little Amazon Echo Dot in the kitchen chimes in, also notifying anyone nearby that someone is at the ding-dong. I never told the Echo to do that. Somehow, after Amazon bought Ring, the doorbell and the Echo Dot made a deal to share information. You know, I always meant to shake my fist at Amazon for this, but I gotta admit it's one of the quickest ways for us to know when someone is at the door. Mid-morning every month or so, I get a notification telling me that Tesla the car company, not the dog, has updated the software in my car. I just got one of these recently, and I can't wait to see how much better full self-driving works. Probably not much better, but a nerd can hope. When my friend Pat stopped by to just to drop something off, I got a notification on my phone that a new device had joined my network, sent courtesy of my Eero Mesh router. Pat and I stood at the door for quite a long time, and my August politely sent me a notification telling me that the front door had been left open for over three minutes. My MyQ garage door opener will do the same kind of notification, but it has to be more than 30 minutes. Both are really useful information in case you forgot to close a door. I usually work upstairs for a while longer before dinner, and by this time, Alistair Jenks is awake in New Zealand, because it's tomorrow there, and he's probably posted something awesome in our Delete Me channel in Slack. So of course, I have notifications turned on to let me know. I have to say, if you only subscribe to one channel in our Podfeet, uh, podcast Slack, I highly recommend Delete Me. Now, since I'm 100% spoiled, Steve makes me dinner every night. When it's about five minutes until dinner is ready, I get a notification. It's not from Telegram or Messages. It's not via Intercom on our HomePod Minis. It's not from Walkie Talkie on our watches. It's not even from our 1990s era home intercom system. I actually hear a chime in my room. The chime I hear is from a doorbell I found on the side of the road back in 2019. Steve has the corresponding doorbell button down in the kitchen. It is the jankiest, lowest tech notification in the house, and we both love it. Works every time. I bet you want to hear it, don't you? Isn't that awesome? Man, we love that thing. After dinner, I usually go back up to work some more, at least until it's time to watch Star Trek. If I buy something online, I always use my Apple Card. One of my favorite things about the Apple Card is that you instantly get a notification that a charge has gone against the card. Back in April, I told you about this and how it saved my friend Diane from some fraudulent charges. I always look at that notification and I know that if some ne'er-do-well ever tries to use my card, I'll be able to jump right on it because of that notification. Tessa likes to do a perimeter patrol around the backyard after dark. If Steve lets her out the back door, of course, I get the notification from the ring alarm, but at night she also sets off the ring floodlight cam notification, the main backyard wise cam notification, and since she's very thorough, the side yard wise cam outdoor notification, and the ring spotlight cam notification over by the trash cans. Finally, as we sit down to watch Star Trek, I eventually get a notification that I've closed all my fitness rings. And that is a day in the life of Allison's notifications. So you answer the question, horrifying or awesome? I don't know if you've gotten onto the Markdown train yet, but I've been enjoying it more and more over the years since Bart first started nagging me to use it. 
Markdown is a plain text format that simplifies writing for the web and is easier to read than HTML. Now, you might be thinking this isn't interesting to you because you don't write a blog, but there are reasons to learn a smidge of Markdown even for normal people. Because Markdown is so popular amongst nerds, they've built Markdown support into lots of tools you use every day. You may want to make a comment on a blog or fill out a description in an online form, and it turns out you can use Markdown to format your text as bold, underlined, or italics, and to add bulleted and numbered lists. Markdown can do some really complex things like creating tables in a superhuman readable way, but you don't have to exercise all of the features of this little language to still get some benefits from it. One great place to experiment with Markdown is in our Slack at podfeet.com Slack, because Slack also has Markdown support. I'm crazy about the messaging app Telegram, and I use Markdown in it all the time to format what I'm writing. While Markdown might seem like a fad, and its fans are sometimes almost cultish and zealots in their adoration, Markdown itself is something to consider because it's future-proof. That sounds like a bold statement, but since it's a plain text format, that statement is accurate. Using proprietary tools like Microsoft Word or Apple Pages creates text files that are not portable to other tools and can cause problems sharing across platforms. By the way, when you write an article for me to put on the blog uh, at podfeet.com, I really hope you'll use plain text formats, because if you do it in Word or Pages, it's a hot mess and takes me a lot more work to make it work. Markdown is portable across platforms and all Markdown interpreters. And even if Markdown itself went out of favor, it's still human-readable plain text. Now, this isn't a lesson or a lecture on using Markdown, as there are far better instructional sites to do that. Search for Markdown Guide or Markdown Cheat Sheet, and you'll be rewarded with many sites that can help teach you. But I do think a smidge more information on how Markdown works would help because I'm going to be telling you about a Markdown editor I like, and it won't make any sense if you don't know a couple of these things. Let's say you want to make some bold text. You simply put two asterisks on either side of the word or phrase you want to embolden. Want italics? Use one asterisk on either side. Don't like using asterisks? You can also use one or two underlines on either side for italics or bold. One of the things Markdown makes really easy is bulleted and numbered lists. If you simply type an asterisk and then a space, that starts a bulleted list that will be nicely indented and word-wrapped without any faffing about in rulers and adding tabs and all that nonsense. If you type the number one, then a period and a space, you'll start a, simply, a similarly formatted numbered list. It's easy to read, it's easy to create, and it's future-proof because everyone can understand what you meant. It says the number right there. Now let's stop with why Markdown is cool, and I finally now get to tell you what I want to talk about today. One of the fun things about Markdown is that you can choose any Markdown editor you like. You can use a different one each day if it suits your fancy. It does suit my fancy to change applications more often than most people change their clothes, so I'd like to tell you about one that's currently delighting me. The app I'm excited about is called MacDown. It's a free and open source Markdown editor just for the Mac from MacDown.com. Oh man, how do I pronounce this? Macdown.urinusjunior.com. Not quite sure how that's pronounced. Anyway, I there's a link in the show notes, of course. I suspect that there are people of two minds about Markdown editors. I'm betting that there are people who want a distraction-free environment so they do not want to see the rendered results of their work while they're typing. Then there are people like me who like instant gratification and want to see if two asterisks on either side of a word really did make it bold. Macdown works for both kinds of people. When you first open Macdown, you'll get a dark pane on the left and a white pane on the right. 
The dark pane is the editor where you type, and the white pane shows, real-time, the pretty rendered version. If this level of distraction is too much for you, in the top right, there's a little icon to hide the preview pane or hide the editor pane. Now, if you don't like the preview pane showing, you still get a lot of hints about the success of your markdown writing in the editor pane. For example, a hash symbol followed by a space creates a heading level one, which means big, bold text. In the editor pane, you do see the hash mark you typed, but everything you write on that line will also be big and bold like a heading one should look. In the preview pane, the hash symbol doesn't show, just your big, bold title. Likewise, if you use two asterisks on either side of a word, in the preview pane, the word will just be bold, but in the editor, it will be bold, and you'll also be able to see the asterisks that made it so. I'm fairly comfortable in Markdown for the simple stuff, but if you're just learning, Macdown is there to help. Across the top of every window, you have a toolbar with the most common formatting options as icons. You've got buttons for bold, italics, and underline to start. Then there are three heading levels, H1, H2, and H3. It's pretty easy to type a number of hashes, but sometimes it's actually easier to use one of these icons if you've already got a heading level, but you want to switch to a different heading level. It seems counterintuitive, but it feels more efficient. When creating numbered lists, the icon in the toolbar starts it in one click instead of typing three characters, one, then a period, then a space. There are more tools to add less common formatting. You may not often use quotes in your writing, but they're not hard in Markdown. You simply type a greater than symbol followed by a space and go to town writing your quote. But if you don't do them often, remembering it's a greater than symbol might not be in the forefront of your brain. There's a nice quote button in the toolbar to put it in for you when you forget. Now, nerds like me love code blocks, and there are a couple of ways to create them in Markdown. Even if you're not a nerd, sometimes you might want to take, make a code block. The main thing that code blocks give you is a monospace font, but that can also have a different background to set it off from the rest of the text. If you're trying to ask for help with an error message in a log file that looks like gibberish to you, you'll help the people trying to help you if you use a monospace code block because it will be easier for them to read. With Markdown, you can create inline code blocks where you just want to type a few nerdy words in monospace font by clicking the button that has a less than greater than symbol. If you have text selected when you click that button, it will give you a backtick on either side of the text, which makes it look like inline code. The backtick, by the way, is the key right above the tab key on a US keyboard. Sometimes, like when you're dumping that pesky error log to someone, you'd like to set the whole mess as one giant code block. In Macdown, you can accomplish this by typing four spaces before pasting it in, or you can use the indent button in the upper left. I hadn't seen that technique before, so I wanted to make sure that was really, you know, portable because that's the whole point of this. It's got to work everywhere. But it does appear to be standard because I opened my Markdown test file in the Markdown preview app Marked 2 by Brett Terpstra. And both the indent and the four spaces method definitely made it into a giant code block. I learned to make giant code blocks by putting three backticks before and after the code block text, but the button markdown is probably an easier way to go. When I mentioned Brett's app marked, I wanted to make sure to give you a link to his app so you can check it out on your own. For some reason, I can never remember how to make hot links in markdown. I know you put square brackets around one piece and roundy brackets around the other piece, but I can never remember which one goes where. I was delighted that with Macdown, I didn't have to remember. I found Brett's website in my browser, and I copied the URL, and I came back to my writing in Macdown. I selected the words Mark II by Brett Terpstra, I hit the link icon in the, tool, in the toolbar, and boom! I had square brackets around the text and round brackets around the copied URL inside. I love that.
Now, I tend to use HTML for my embedded images in my writing because I upload them as I go along, but if you want to link to an image that's already online, there's a button for that too. Now, if buttons aren't your jam and you'd rather use keyboard shortcuts, Macdown has you covered there too. The functionality of the formatting buttons is also available in the format menu, and each of them has an associated keyboard shortcut. I was especially delighted to find that Macdown used Command-Shift-K to assign a link to some text, which is exactly how MarsEdit, my favorite blogging tool, adds links in Markdown. Macdown comes with a help file, which is, of course, written in Macdown. That made me nervous, because what if I accidentally erased or changed something in the file and then hit my instinctive Command-S before I realized what I'd done, and I forever lost the help file? Have no fear. I purposely added the word pancakes to the help file, saved it, closed it, and reopened it, and pancakes was gone. I wonder how they do that. Making tables in Markdown is so easy compared to doing it in HTML, but the syntax is another one that I simply can't remember. No problem. Open the Markdown help, do a search for tables, and they've got great examples of a couple of ways to make them, including how to make them write, center, and justified text in the cell contents. Since help is in Macdown, I can see how to type the table syntax on the left, and I can see what it should look like on the right. Speaking of search, Macdown also has search and replace, which I use all the time. Now, I said at the beginning that the editor of the pane on the left was dark, and the preview pane was light. In preferences, you can choose from many themes for the editor pane and rendering options for the preview pane. You can do light or dark and change the fonts and colors and more. Now, I don't want to bore you by going into all of the preferences, but there's some real nerdy options in there if you're that kind of woman. I also said at the beginning that I'm a big fan of an auto-updating preview pane. But you know what? If you do a lot of writing, that's the path to insanity. As I dogfooded this article by writing it in Macdown, the jumping of the text in the preview pane drove me bananas. My first solution was to hide the preview pane. But there's also a checkbox in Preferences General to stop the preview pane from auto-updating. Once I turned that off, I liked Macdown a lot better. To see the changes, I simply hit Command-R to refresh the preview. I discovered a feature of Macdown completely by accident. I was writing in Macdown in my primary user account. Without closing the file in Macdown, I switched to another user account to do some work. Without even thinking, I opened the same document on that second account. I worked away, saved, and I went back to my primary account. Well, the document was still open, and like magic, all of the changes I made while in the other user account were still there. Not sure why that worked, because when do things like that just work? I gave Macdown a whirl with voiceover, and while all of the buttons were labeled and I could easily navigate around with voiceover, I'm not sure I'd see any advantages of using Macdown if I was visually impaired. It's an awful lot of work to select some text and then use the keyboard to get out of text editing, navigate to the keyboard to the toolbar, move between formatting groups, navigate down into one and push a button and then navigate back up out of the toolbar and back into editing text. The beauty of visual previews would not be an advantage, so I think I'd use a less fancy pants markdown editor instead. In case you're wondering, you can use text edit in plain text mode to create perfectly usable markdown. I don't do all of my writing in Macdown, but it's found a home in my digital life when I'm recording with Bart. Bart writes the show notes ahead of time, and it's my job to listen, contribute to the conversation, and find typos and fix them while we're talking. I find that Macdown, with its instant gratification of the preview pane, is the right tool for the job. The one thing I'm not excited about with Macdown is that the open source project does not appear to be in active development. There have been a few updates a year and a half ago, but there are 487 issues identified with 34 pull requests waiting to be resolved. 
A pull request means someone has tried to fix the code because of a bug or to add an enhancement, but they have to request the admins of the project to approve the request before the contribution gets merged into the project. Unanswered pull requests are very sad. Macdown is a well-designed, enjoyable app to use, but if you find anything you don't like, you're probably never going to see it fixed unless you fork the code and do the fixing yourself. I still recommend it, especially for those that are just starting out with Markdown and want to get their feet wet. With its pretty preview pane and great documentation of how to use Markdown, I really like Macdown. Well, that's going to wind us up for this week. And don't forget, tomorrow is WWDC. Hopefully you're not listening to this after WWDC and you missed the opportunity to join us at podfeet.com slash chat during the live WWDC where you can talk to all of us. Did you know you can email me at allison at podfeet.com? That's where you can send your ask me anything about security questions about BART. If you have a question or a suggestion, you could just send it on over. You can also follow me on Twitter at podfeet. If you want to join in the fun of the conversation, we've talked about it a bunch of times here. You can join our Slack community at podfeet.com slash Slack. That's where you can talk to me and all of the other lovely Nocilla castaways. Remember, everything good starts with podfeet.com. You can support the show at podfeet.com slash Patreon or with a one-time donation at podfeet.com slash PayPal. And if you want to join in the fun of the live show, head on over to podfeet.com slash live on Sunday nights at 5 p.m. Pacific time and join the friendly and enthusiastic Nocilla Castaways. Thanks for listening and stay subscribed.